And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Good news is your dates are here. What's the bad news? They're dead. Three ah! are United States Astro Robots. They come a creature of death. Oh. And they. We have come here to this planet for. One purpose only, to acquire breeding stuff to repopulate our planet. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast from class to the cult of the cheese in between. The movies are B, but the entertainment is grade A. And I am your host, Mr. Jason Jacknetti, and I'm joined once again by my dad, Mr. Al Jacknetti. Hey, Jay, how's it going today? Today, we, we got something a little different, right? We're going to go back to the early 80s, for, for not for a movie, but for a TV show um, that, in my opinion, was a wannabe, um, you know, Twilight Zone called Darkroom. Yeah, and we'll get to episode one of Darkroom right after this. Darkroom will continue in a moment. The man I talked to on the telephone last night is not Arthur Desmond. He's you. You sure you're not seeing spooks in your closet? Take the face, the voice, the soul. It's monstrous. You can keep your soul. All we want is your externals. You shouldn't have come in here. No! Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. This is insane. This radio could be tuned into the past. You're talking about changing history. The Dark Room was a TV series that uh, debuted November 27, 1981, and ran on ABC. The crazy part is that it actually was produced by Universal. Now, if you're thinking, Universal, that's NBC. Yes, which is why this uh, series might be considered lost by many people. It's uh, not available on DVD, at least not um, anywhere in the U.S. It's only available one time over uh, somewhere in Europe. I, I want to say, I think it was Germany, but it might be Australia. I'm not remember exactly uh, who put it out, but it's not available, readily available in the U.S., at least uh, commercially. Um, and then what happened was you wound up having um, the the uh, um, NBC uh, Peacock started, and maybe you now know what Peacock is. Maybe just have Peacock maybe in, you know on our cable and stuff like that. Uh, NBC doesn't, uh, Universal, they want to carry, now Peacock doesn't actually carry this show. But NBC.com actually carries this show, um, and they'll say it's listed as it's available on sci-fi.com or like other ones, like bravo.com. Like, what, and you look at it, like, that's crazy. They're all exactly the same. They all take you to NBC.com, where you can watch it with limited commercials, um, which is fine. It might be the only way most people get to see this, because I have never seen it anywhere else. 
Um, it's not on YouTube. It's not available, anything like that. Again, they, they're, you know, they take care of their properties and they keep track of it. So, um, this show is known, it's just, they were each, what were each episode was 60 minutes and featured two or three stories of varying on the length of the story. And each episode had a new story and a new cast. Um, but each one had a wraparound segment hosted by James Colburn. Yes, that James Colburn. Um, and he's, you know, in a dark room of a house. Now the opening of this show featured, um, the title sequence, which is a dolly through the corridors of a house. Um, to a safe lighted dark room, which means obviously it's red. Yeah, right? It was like a cat's cat's view yeah. of, of running through the house. I mean, it's it's an awesome looking house, uh, you know, kind of thing. But um, it says you're in a house. It might be your own. It might be one you've never seen. And I'm like, okay, but it's it's kind of disorienting when you're kind of zooming through the, through thing, the thing. And um, you know, it says it says you're in, you're in a house, maybe your own, maybe one you've never seen before. You feel it, something evil. You run, but there's no escape, nowhere to turn. You feel something beckoning to you, drawing you into the terror that awaits you in the dark room. And so Colburn does the voiceover, um, and he reaches the point with uh, no no escape, nowhere to turn. Right, the camera turns, um, and it actually goes you know, to various walls and closed doors, and making you look at like you're in there. And then in the beginning of each one, he gives a little spiel. And what people have likened this to, and uh, I think you, you kind of you know talk about it is that it's similar into Twilight Zones, but it's actually probably more similar to Night Gallery. Yeah. Um, in the Twilight Zone, Rod Serling's voice, he wouldn't always be there. I mean, it's always, you know, like, there's no one in the world. Rod Serling steps out from behind a bush, you know, kind of thing. And he's talking about what's happening there. But much more, I think, like uh, Night Gallery, where Night Gallery was small stories put together. Um, and each one kind of has its own unique flair to it or whatever each painting did. And for those who have never seen Night Gallery, it's go, go back and watch. Um and, you know, being able to, um, it's an anthology, so it kind of follows that idea as well. Each story is a little anthology, two to three pieces. Uh, and as you go through, there are a lot of, uh, you know, actors and actresses who would become bigger stars later. You know, it's a little bit part here, but part there. Because especially if you're in the shorter story, the shorter stories sometimes run five, six minutes. And the longer stories sometimes run like 30, you know, 35 minutes. Because you figure... A 60-minute episode, they're about 47 minutes runtime each, roughly 48 minutes runtime each. Um, so they're not super long. Um, and then, um, you know, and Peter S. Fisher, who was your executive producer, um, oversaw the entire project. And it was put out through Universal Television. All right. So episode number one um, is, uh, and we'll talk, well, let's just talk about this real quick. because you know, So the I never saw this show when it happened, 1981, end of 81, early 82. So we talk about this. This this ran from Thanksgiving right through Christmas and ended sometime in the middle of January. So what was going on? Well, you had Thanksgiving and, you know, kind of thing. And then you have Christmas. And unlike nowadays where there's a, you know, I can DVR anything or I can, you know, watch it on demand. If you forgot it was on, and I don't remember what night this was on exactly, um, you didn't watch it. Jay, you were three years old. No, no, no. I, when I look through the thing, it doesn't give you an exact, right. like this was on, it wasn't like Fridays at eight. This was definitely on late at night. This was a 10 o'clock at night start. So it might've been on Fridays or Saturdays at eight o'clock or 10 o'clock at night, which a lot of people weren't necessarily doing that. People were going out doing things. You were having holiday parties. Once Christmas comes and New right. Year's, I mean, everyone knows the week between Christmas and New Year's is just a blur. You have no idea, you know how many days you've worn those pants, you know, where's that stain from? Who are these people in my house? Whatever, you know? Yeah. I was trying to remember if I, if we ever watched this, if mom and yeah. I ever watched this when it was, when it was lots of on, on, you know, when it first came out on TV, I don't remember. So the problem is, I think some people were, well, when we go through the episodes, 
will remember yeah. certain episodes, but they'll misremember them as a Twilight Zone or misremembers them as more probably more likely as a part of the Night Gallery because Night Gallery, while it wasn't a was it was not Twilight Zone successful, was lasted three seasons. But three, three season three, they recycled clips together to kind of pad it out. Um, but Night Gallery was a pretty big hit, uh, you know, back in the in the seventies. Well, you know why? Because well, because it was Serling. Yeah, and and Serling had the. Uh, uh, had the uh, you know the, uh, the the obviously the previous best thing that was ever on TV yes, yeah and so that that Rod Serling was now back in television I remember he used to write uh, stories for for Broadway plays and stuff yeah. you know so but again this is right at the time when he was he he had he had his cancer from from all the smoking and the the shows the shows on there were. Were hit and miss, more hit than miss, as I remember them. But as it got as it got longer, as it got into the third year, I don't think he was involved. Yeah. And so when he's not involved, just like when Spielberg is not involved in a movie he made and they're making a, a the sequel, mm-hmm. it's not the same. Right. So Rod Serling also many people remember In Search of, um, and In Search of he actually did the pilot for In Search of, and Rod Serling's the voiceover on that. And then Leonard Nimoy took over In Search of, and that became a big hit because obviously the the pilot for In Search of, and you know, it was basically a movie. It was like a, a super long episode about um, ancient astronauts and something. I mean, talk about an interesting thing. I watched that one summer. I have the box set, and that was what I watched while I was working on models one entire summer. And it's super interesting because, again, it's also 1970s, and some of the things that I think they're going to happen by 1990, I'm like, oh boy, you guys don't understand what 20 years is like. It ain't going to happen because um, I'm looking at things, you know, 30 years even after that, and it's not even happened yet. Um, but the idea, though, is that. Uh, this was not a show that you could readily see. So in college, um, during the mid-90s, uh, the Sci-Fi Channel used to run these as a rerun. And I, the one day they ran all seven episodes back to back to back to back. And I watched all seven of them. It was one of my days off. And I was like, oh, these are really good. And I started looking into it. And back then, the internet was kind of new compared to this. And there's nothing about it. Like, there's literally no information. And then they would show this. So Sci-Fi Channel, when actually it was called spelled Sci-Fi, not Sci-Fi, um, actually would uh, show... An episode of Kolchak, you know, another series that was cut short way too soon. Um, they would show an episode of this, and then eventually they would show an episode of like, uh, or then they would show an episode of Monsters, and they, they would show the whole series over the course of days. And you'd watch it, and this one only ran, when they did it, it would run into seven episodes, and then they would fill in with Night Galleries, which I was like, oh, maybe it's a, a version of Night Gallery, maybe it's a Night Gallery spinoff. It was kind of confusing, because you didn't have a lot of information, and no one I know at that time, had ever seen this show. So I was like, huh, I wonder if this was a takeoff on Night Gallery. Because Night Gallery ended in the 70s, and I wondered, like, maybe they were trying to bring it back, but they didn't have the rights to the name, and maybe that's why it's pictures and not paintings. It was very confusing in the 90s like that, you know, kind of thing, because you had kind of a little bit of information, but not enough information. Anyway, so um, our first episode, so uh, we have here, the first two episodes are called Closed Circuit, and stay tuned, we'll be right back. Now, uh, your first episode, Closed Circuit, was actually directed by Rick, Rick Rosenthal. Uh, Rick Rosenthal um, uh, you know, uh, would, is known for directing Halloween 2 and uh, Halloween Resurrection. So Halloween 2 was out around this time. This was a big get. To get Rick Rosenthal to do this for the horror community, this was a big get because he was coming off a pretty successful, you know, the sequel to Carpenter's original Halloween. Halloween 2 is just basically the rest of the night. You know, kind of thing. It's not like Halloween three, which is right. nothing to do with it. Um, and it was a pretty big get for them. 
Uh, your story was by Carl Schultz, and the teleplay was by um, um, Alan uh, Burnett or Burrett, Um And so that and this aired November twenty seventh, nineteen eighty one. Okay, so closed circuit. Uh, we we find aging reporter Greg Conway, who's played by Robert Weaver, um, suspects his fellow anchor Arthur Desmond, who's John Randolph. Uh, listeners will know John Randolph as uh, um, Gris, as uh, Clark Griswold's dad from the uh, um, Christmas Vacation. I almost said uh, uh, whatever uh, for Christmas, but Christmas Vacation. Uh, he finds Arthur Desmond has been replaced with a double, in spite of protests from his uh, producer Linda Beckwith, who's played by Mary Fran, and network head Bill Bellamy, played by none other than Richard Anderson. Uh, in, um, who at this time? So when was that? Was I'm trying to think. Richard Anderson was um, obviously in um, Six Million Dollar Man, man. and uh, and uh, um, I was the seventh Bionic Woman's. That's like seventy four to seventy eight. So he's yeah. he's still known from that, but he was in other things too. But I'm saying, but people again t- on television, that's where I know him from. Yeah. The reruns of Six Million Dollar Man and stuff like that. But he was a, a known face. He comes on and like, oh, I know that guy, right? Um, and network head Bill Bellamy. Greg continues to investigate and discovers that the network has replaced Desmond and several others with computer simulations, while the real people are allowed to live out their lives in luxury. Okay, so let's stop there for a second. So when this opens, um, it's if you didn't know this was the 80s, it clearly is the 1980s. Like It looks like the late 70s or early 80s, but it's clearly that time frame. It's not mid-80s. It's not late 80s. Like nothing, But it looks like the city. It looks like that late 70s. Maniac and um, um, Chud, Chud, and like it looks like the city around that time. Not that it's like you know, oh my god, they're doing these great exteriors, but the way things, the the newspaper stand, right. I think things yeah. look like well, that. And it, well, again, it's 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 current. So when they're on the street filming, the cars are the uh, from right then and there. Right, but I'm saying, but it definitely has that feel sure, yeah. of of being real. It says this doesn't look like yeah. they filmed it in Los Angeles. No, 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 it wasn't done in Toronto. Yeah, right. This wasn't done somewhere else and then passed off in New York. It feels like New York. So I like that aspect of at least the first episode. We're supposed to be in New York City, right? And because he, he says Arthur loves New York City, he's been trying to get out of Brent, Brentwood for years. And I'm like, that hits home as a New Yorker. Again, not I didn't grow up in the city or anything, but those are things that make sense. Those are names that like make sense. And the idea is that if you are not from New York City or you've never been, it looks like New York City. It looks like what you've seen in movies, what you've seen in um, um, not attack, like, not well, taxi, taxi driver yeah. and um, pandemic in Needle yeah. Park and things like like where they show you the city, where the city is actually a character. It looks enough like New York City, where even if it's not really New York City, because it's just filmed in a, and again, this is Universal. So this stuff could be filmed wherever, but it looks like you're in the streets. So, um, and, and, uh, Robert Weaver, you know, he plays Greg, Greg Conway. He kind of is an aging, you know, he's probably in his late forties kind of thing. He's an aging, uh, news, kind of, um, you know, talking head, so to speak. And think about the eighties. Like that was like a big thing, like Ted Koppel and like, uh, you know, right. those guys, like those guys held a lot of power because network television was power. Um, for those who have never seen the movie Network, go back and watch it. Like it talks about the power that that network television had, and for him to be a news anchor, he a lot of people's opinions were formed by news anchors. With well, the news anchor said this, I got to believe him, and that's what things are. Um, and of course, Linda Beckwith, who play uh, is is played by uh, Mary Fran, um, she's the up and coming exec, and she's like you know a woman in power and whatever. 
Um, she always seems like she's kind of not being 100% truthful, which we find out. And of course, Bill Bellamy, um, played by Richard Anderson, is exactly the executive thinking. He's a slime ball. It's what he is, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, so you don't know that. Though. Well, no, but he comes across as being kind of yeah. like, you know, he's like, well, the, the, the executive guy, he's that, that's who he is, you know, kind of thing. But he's a, he played kind of like, you know, guy yeah. in a suit before. So. Yeah, for those, for those of you who don't know who Robert Weber is, uh, I, I, he was one of the generals in uh, um, the Dirty Dozen that is in the office when, uh, right. Yeah. You know, so that's, so he's, he's a face, you know, but that's, but he's not famous. Yeah. He's, he's not, not, he's, not yeah. A, he's not a, he's not an A-lister. Yeah. A-lister. Right. Uh, but he's, he's in a lot of A-list movies. Yeah. But yeah. But again, you always need those people filling out the other roles in the right. movie. It's, it's like, Hey, I know that guy. It's a documentary, yeah, exactly. but Hey, I know that guy. It's kind of thing. So, um, where were we? Um, despite his, um, intellectual reluctance. Um, okay. So, he figures out, he, so he goes to see them. He goes down to the studio, and the studio is empty. And they're like, oh, he's broadcasting from the studio in Jersey. So he goes to the studio yeah. in Jersey, and he can't find him. And that's where he has a stroke, right? And when, when I first saw the episode, I'm like, oh, did he really have a stroke? Now, again, he's eating horribly and whatever kind of thing. He's he's very much in the uh, Vincenzo from uh, from uh, <laughs> um, um, Kolchak, Kolchak kind of thing, right? He's like, Kolchak, get in here. You're giving me a heart attack, you know? Um, the idea though is that he has a stroke and he goes to the hospital and why he's in the hospital. That's when they're trying to now, now they're going to, they drug him and they get him to recite the lines and he's going to have to do all these stress tests and it's all gaining information about him so they can feed that into a computer and a computer generate him. This is so cutting edge in 1981 idea wise. Now we wouldn't think anything of it. Yeah, like you three know, to three D, yeah, three D yeah. rendering and whatever. Like there's nothing, but this is so cutting edge in 1981 thinking. Yet, it's not that undifferent than Westworld, right? Because yep. in Westworld, the whole thing is like Yul Brenner. You can't tell Yul Brenner's a robot until you look at his hands, and then his face falls off. But like you know, I'm saying like, I mean, when the face falls off, you're like, oh, it's a robot, you know, kind of thing. But it's stealing kind of an idea from there, but it's done differently. This isn't done to make a double of you, to make a robot version of you. It's to put you in a computer and that the computer is going to give you the information. This is 1981, folks. This isn't 1991. There is no internet. There is no whatever. I mean, computers are still massive machines, right? You know, kind of thing. I mean, you know, you work for IBM, yeah, right? Yeah. It wasn't like computer, like a home computer was not a thing people had no. in 1981. If they did, it was very, like, it was very, very basic. Um, so, uh, despite his intellectual reluctance, Conway is persuaded into allowing a simulation of him to take over his career and allow him to follow his dreams of traveling the world, getting married and writing a novel. Now he's going to write his novel. He's got all his papers and stuff, and he's planning on going to do this. He's going to go to Paris and he's going to go to Spain and all these other places. I'm thinking to myself going, sounds like a lot of work. Like I'm just oh, like, <laughs> okay, keep going. So, um, as he prepares to leave for Paris, Bellamy has him abducted and reveals that Conway is now going to be imprisoned. So the network can sustain his illusion. And then he leaves him in the basement of the, the New Jersey plant, which of course no one's working at. They're just shooting up. And, um, and Conway of course begs him futilely to let him out. And that's the twist at the end. Uh, every episode will have a twist at the end, very much like the um, night gallery. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's not, it's not, again, it's, it's not action packed. It's kind of like, it's talking and whatever, but when you, it's, 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 it's certainly a 1980 has a very 1980s feel to it. The dress is of course, you know, current and stuff like that. Um, but it feels like something you would see in the 1980s, but at the end, you know, the, the twist always is the, it's not a good twist. 
Like it's not like sure. you know, it's 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 it's, it's a dig twist. It's a very EC Comics twist at the end. Yeah. I mean, so it, it again, I I can't imagine that this thing would be engrossing with commercials, uh, even though it's it's relatively short. It's about thirty minutes. But if you had two commercials in there, it's you. It's going to take you away from the story, mm-hmm. and that's the most important part. The thing with this thing is, is that I felt it was a little weak uh, getting to the getting to the to the twist because it turns out he would. They never would allow ever have allowed him yes. to be uh, uh, a bon vivant yeah. all around right. the world because if he's on TV talking live. On, on whatever channel it is, and he's having tea and crumpets in London at the same time. It's people would people would would put two and two together and say, "Hey, what's going on here?" Well, I, I'm I, I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly that the station they're on is VBS. No shots fired there, right? right? Like as if like oh, no, you know, yeah, yeah. right, like taking a shot at CBS because you're on ABC, um, and. I think maybe taking a shot at their broadcasters being old, where ABC had the young, yeah. right? You know, kind right. of thing. That's it's all right. shots, yeah. shots fired. You know, kind of thing. Um, but yeah, and again, I didn't think it was again as as a first episode. I don't think it's amazing, but it it's not horrible. I mean, that the acting was good. I no, mean, no, it made no. sense. No, but when when you see it, when watching it without commercials, yeah, it, it, it flows. It flows mm-hmm. fine. But when when I watched it, I watched it again. I watched it twice. I watched it the first time. And then I watched it the second time. And when I watched it the second time, you realize that everybody is lying to him, even the the up and coming mm-hmm. the, the gal. She knows what the yeah. what what yeah. The, the the final thing is going to be. And so again, it's just like watching uh, a murder mystery when you know who the, uh, the killer is. Killer yeah. is, yeah. and you you see the, all the little guff, uh, you know MacGuffins that are right, being right, placed yeah. here and there. So. Uh, but again, it's it. I took it. I thought it it, it took a little long to get to where he finally realizes what the hell the story is going to, what, what, yeah. what his outcome is going to be. Right. Right. So again, like I said, it's not a horrible first one. The acting is good. I mean, the, you know, overall everything looks professionally done and yeah. stuff like that. So you just wonder why, again, why I, would you pick that to be the first one? First one. Yeah. I mean, in all the other, in all the other ones, I mean, there's usually a pilot. There was no pilot here no. with this. To be and, honest with you, episode number two, is the pilot should be the should have been the pilot, right. and we're not talking about episode two now. We're talking about that down the road. But the the, the boogeyman will get you and Uncle George are literally that should be the pilot because if that was the pilot, people are like I'm watching. I mean, the when show. you think about when you think about uh, Night Gallery, the pilot was oh, was the the Zuni, uh, uh, no not the no, Zuni, not Zuni, no it was it was um, uh, my, um, uh, I can't think of his name the 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 Cornelius in uh, Planet of the Apes. Malcolm he, McDowell. Malcolm Mal- McDowell. No, Malcolm. No, uh, Roddy McDowell. Roddy McDowell. Not Malcolm and, McDowell. And the, and, the, and, the, and the paintings change. I remember that being just tremendous. Yeah. And you, you, it, it was, you almost get chills. Well, see, the thing with Night happening. Gallery is Night Gallery kind of pushed a limit sometimes on what they would get away with with some of their stuff. Um, they would also do comical ones. Like they were like, right. and, and because Rod Sterling could write the comedy, but so pitch black, you were yeah. like, oh, how am I laughing at someone eating somebody? Yeah. Like that, like cannibalism is funny, but it is in a two minutes short. Um, it's, it's when he's interviewing all the different women. Right. He's like, he wants the really heavy girl because he's you know, more food. Um, but then like, then they would do one about like the, the, basically the boys from Brazil where the Nazis right. hiding out there and now he has to escape. And like, it's so crazy when you think about like the, like those things, but people again, don't remember those either. They remember some of them because some aren't as good. Right. And, 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 and even, the even, 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 even Twilight Zones. Even the Twilight Zones. Well, no. 
The hour-long ones are just bad. I mean, yeah, no, but if you get to the first five years where they're half hours, there are classics, there are semi-classics, and, and then there's a few duds. Yeah. Because some in some of the duds, like the one with the, where the guy is Shakespeare. Yeah. I mean, that's just boring as hell. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, but not every one. Not every one of them can be the Howling Man, no. or can be Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet. But you see, or, but again, or, when you look at, if you go through the list of who wrote the episode, mm-hmm. any Buck Houghton, right? Yeah. Or uh, well, okay, or, or, so, or so Matheson. Yeah, I mean, that, Richard Matheson did. I mean, and, and Rod Sterling wrote a lot of the what's considered to be the all-time classics. Right. And again, not not to discount anyone else, Betancourt and guys like that too. But when you go back, it's like Richard Matheson wrote this. You're like, okay, or Rod Sterling wrote this. Okay, like that's why those things have so much punch because it was their best short story taken and then punched into a thirty-minute episode. There's no time for dilly dally. There's no time for fluff. There's no time right. for any stuff, which is why sometimes anthology ones like this, like the, the like Dark Room here, that one of them is always longer than the other. The short ones tend to be better because they get in and out real quick. Right, right, and that's what we're going to see in the second part. The second part, which is called uh, "Stay Tuned," we'll be right back. Um, Lawrence Pressman who is kind of a nobody, but he's a TV guy kind of thing, right? right. And, he, and he looks like a dad, right, kind of thing in the 80s, and it's his son's birthday, and he buys him a, and he, he makes a, they make a crystal radio. Now, that's way beyond anything I know anything about, but I mean, crystal radios, I guess, supposedly, were a thing back in the day. You would kind of scratch the, the needle across the, the crystal and would pick up whatever waves yeah. were out there, right? Kind of like a ham radio or stuff like that nowadays, right? Um, and so he actually, his son starts hearing the old broadcast, right? And he thinks they're old broadcast. He's like, oh, I haven't heard this in forever. And he's, he, there's some, there's some dialogue between him and the wife later that explains all this. But he's like, oh, I was listening to this. And he's like, and they're like, the inner sanctum. I'm like, oh, I know what inner sanctum is. And then he hears stuff in German. And you're like, what is it? And then he hears Morse code and he writes the Morse code down. And you're like, this is weird. Okay. But like, what, why would you be hearing this? And then he comes out and says, that the Morse code, he feels he's intercepted an actual spy sending uh, to the U-boat when the the crew when the uh, the, the, the troop ship's going to leave, and it's the troop ship that his dad is killed on. And this episode, it's so this part of the episode, it's so short. But when he's saying to the wife, he goes, "I can change this." It's like, oh my god, you know this is not going to end well. Like you just know it's going to end poorly. But you at the same time, you're like, okay, like. He wants his dad back. He wants, you know, he wants to, he wants his, he, he said, he goes, I never had a childhood. I never grew up because even if I had money for a toy, I didn't play with it because my, his life ended when he was two and he's feel that he's been boring and he's nothing. And he wants to fix something. He wants, he wants to be a great man, not because he wants fame and fortune because he just wants have his, his dad back. That's all he wants. And that's a hard part of this episode. It's again, people are like, Oh, come on, Jay. Like, but it's true. That little piece there, because it gets in and out quickly. It doesn't linger. It doesn't have him building the radio and going on the oh. roof. It's like, okay, I, he, he's going, he's at, he, he skips work to go to the library. He sends the code back, the Morse code back to the U-boat that, no, it's not the 15th, it's the 20th. So the U-boat doesn't sink it. He falls asleep. He wakes up, and there's his dad. And he's like, come on, we got to get in the butcher shop. And right. he said, I'll be the butcher's son. And he comes in. He goes, you're alive. He goes, well, you know, the business is doing okay. We're, yeah, technically we're alive. We're not doing great. And it's like, and it's just so like, oh, oh, he did it. He did exactly what he wanted. He saved his dad. And what does his dad say? Here, well, well you, you can meet this this one's, you know, niece is going to be in town. And he's like, wait, where's the, his son and his wife? And he's like, oh, is that another one? Is that the school teacher? And I'm like, 
okay, like, where is this going? When I first saw it, like, where is this going to go? And I was like, and in my head, in my head, I thought, oh, Nazis. This is where this is going because that's where everything goes. Everything goes. Right? Everything goes to Nazis because Rod Serling taught us that because he always went to Nazis, right? And I was like, this has got to be Nazis. And what happened? He goes, well, put your identification. I go, oh, my God, are you kidding me? And what happens? It's literally man in the high castle idea. It's the idea that, like, what if the the U-boat didn't sink that that uh, that thing? Different people lived. A a as we saw in the Deadly Mantis, Dad, a volcano in the South Seas gets a mantis out in the North Pole, right? The he, butterflies flying. That's right. It, it's it's the, it's the butterfly effect, and of course now the Nazis have won, and they're in Cleveland, but it's Cleveland whatever kind of thing, and he has to wear his name tag because it's a it's all under the Nazis and stuff, and I'm like. What a great little story. It, it gets in and out quickly. This is very much a little, you know, I think this one hits better because it gets in and out quick. It's not necessarily that the acting's better or anything like that, but it's just like, no. oh, because you don't have a ton of time. But this is all told in one beat. And they're, and they're, and they're probably it's one beat. Yeah. Probably, there is no commercial. No it commercial. just goes right through. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, folks, that's episode one. Um, and to be honest with you, you know, again, I, I saw all these later on. I mean, again, I, as I said, I saw these um, you know, all together, actually, in one run. And then I saw them again um, later on when they re-showed them. So, um, How did you make, make uh, the copies for them? This? Okay. So I got this Cray Market. Someone, someone right. bootlegged out of whatever country this is from. And I have a bootleg copy. Because they're pretty, they're pretty clean. Well, again, it's the best they could be. When you watch them on NBC.com, they're even better because they've recleaned them up. Oh, okay. Right? They can, they can be better. So the problem is, is that, again, uh, you know, in the gray market, like things like that happen. And that's why I was able to get these. Now, I, I wish they had had that they cleaned them up and put them on Peacock. Because they clicked them up and put them on Peacock, many more people would have an opportunity to see this. You got to go do a little digging. But again, sometimes a little bit of digging makes it worth what you're getting. As we said, episode two, I think, is the pilot of this show. I mean, if I was picking one of them to be a pilot, that's episode two. Episode three, to me, is my favorite episode, but episode two is the pilot. That's now, the know, thing is, you know, I don't, we don't have a calendar here, but I wonder if November 27th was Thanksgiving night. Uh, I'm not 100% sure. I have to look it up. I because, it, you know, when you think about it, if that was Thanksgiving night, they would they realize that it Well, was, I'm going to tell you right now, uh, episode five aired on Christmas. Like, okay, so they yeah. aren't really caring when they're airing this. I think this was just. No, they started airing it. Okay, so the problem is... Um, but, well, we, but you remember, see, you go back to 1980 the, uh, on TV, there was, I think there were 39 episodes, most of the TV shows, yeah. but, you know, anywhere mm -hmm. from 33 to 39, and they they had their slot on yeah. during the week, and they never changed, you know, right. for the whole term. And then when you got to the end of the run, then they would rerun across yeah. the summertime. Yeah. yeah, right. So... Uh, but like I said, we're going to cover episode two down the road, and that's the one, I, to me, I think it would be the pilot. And like I said, episode three is the best one, and the one that probably got this series canceled. So uh, we'll talk about that anyway. We've got some emails. Let's get to the emails, because the, the, sure. we got three here. Okay, this one's from Luke. It says, Garbage Day! Luke <laughs> says, what else? Um, SNDN2. Silent Night, Deadly Night, Night 2. Too. Right? Jay, the timing of Silent Night, Deadly Night 2, SNDN2 from here on, Along with its extremely limited budget, Belly's what I have always suspected was the commercial motivation for the film, video rental market. 100%. Like, exactly. It's it's Belly's or Belize? Belize. Oh, it's Belize. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> it didn't belly anything. It belies. 
look, phone, I'm, I'm reading off my phone. I'm old. <laughs> so, Luke continues, even without the bellies. Um, by 1987, the, the direct-to-video, or limited theatrical run followed by video market, was in full swing. For reference, Ghoulies was 1985. If you haven't seen Ghoulies in a while, listen to our episode of on the vault about Ghoulies, and you'll skip it too. We couldn't, though, folks. We take the bullet for you. Um, while not necessarily a huge hit, the original surely did go, uh, good business on video rentals, given a, um, how commonly seen the, t- the tape was at the time. International Video Entertainment actually released Silent Night, Dead the Night on video to coincide with the video release of Silent Dead the Night 2 in 87, further cementing the goals of the film, at least for me. The previous VHS of Silent Dead the Night was a big box from USA Home Video, while the 87 tape were the 87 tapes, excuse me, were both more renter-friendly slipcase. Let's stop there for a second. Remember the big boxes? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Those big boxes, besides being worth a fortune if you have one in good shape oh. nowadays, right? Because you don't have them in good shape. Or, or that was, like you said, the poster at, right. the, at the movie theater. When you would walk into a um, to rent movies as a kid, you're like, look at these things. The covers were so amazing. And let's face it. Santa Claus's arm with an axe sticking out of the top of the chimney made a lot of parents angry, but made a lot of people rent that movie. Yeah, I think they were. They were I think they were eight by tens. The uh, the boxes, the big boxes. No, they were a little little smaller than that. Yeah, they're a little smaller. Well, I mean, eight by ten yeah. with the with the with the, the VHS. No, I'm saying it's a little it's a little shorter. It's not. Almost, well, yeah, but, yeah, 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 but it's it's pretty good size. But those those boxes. Uh, nowadays, when they do a special release, they'll make a special VHS box, and it's like. People, people again. People at the time are like, "Oh, these things are stupid," and now it's like, "Oh my god, I wish we had these." You know. Yeah. So uh, I almost admire their chutzpah of the crew for recycling so much of the original, but I imagine that that was probably uh, pretty disappointing to customers who rented both movies. <laughs> of course, by that point, and the, sh- the shop had your money. <laughs> so anyway, here's looking forward to wherever it comes down the pike, Luke. And Luke's right. You know, obviously, uh, the VHS market was. I mean, you know, I mean, the '80s. Boom of VHS. It had to be because you you were stuck with what six or seven channels, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe. And, and if you were lucky that uh, some channel might show a movie here and there, yeah. you had, if you didn't go to the movies, it was difficult. Like TCM wasn't around. Okay, that not that there was TCM. There was no cable. No, no, no I'm not, yeah, I'm saying, but there was no cable. No, but again, you had Channel Eleven, which would show you know some a old movie, movies. Yeah. Channel Nine would show some older movies, and again, and that's New York. If you were in Peoria, Illinois, you would only have, have two channels. Well, yeah, I mean they had they had to have their 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 WNY affiliate, like kind of thing, which is their their Channel Five, with right. King Fox. They had their NBC, their ABC, their CBS. You had your majors, but you may not have had WPIX. You might not have had WOR, which again, WOR actually carried all the way down to Florida. I mean, people used to be because depending oh, on where yeah. they were broadcasting out of, but it depended on where you were, what you got. Um, well, when you were young, when you were young on Saturday mornings, that's where you used, we used to see all of the like the Tarzan movies on Channel Five on, on Channel Sunday 5. Sunday mornings. Yeah, yeah, because Saturday mornings were cartoons. cartoons. Sunday morning was yeah. was when we just talked about this. Sundays you would see a, a Tarzan movie, and that's where I first saw all my Tarzans. Well, and then you get your your afternoon movie on Saturday, Saturday afternoon. It was always a kung fu movie or Sunday, a Godzilla movie. And, and, yeah, on Sunday at one o'clock on CBS, it was picture for a Sunday afternoon for all of you older folks that are yeah. that remembered. But that's when there would be a, a movie, and it wouldn't be some schlocky movie. They would no, pick, a classic. They, they would pick a classic, like, and it, but they're not showing Gone with the Wind. No, they show from Hero Eternity, though. Yeah, that's where I saw it. Yeah, but 
And that was during when it's not during football season. During football season, you had a football game on football certain game. NBC showed the AF showed the Jets and the whatever, AFC. and um, CBS. CBS showed the Giants. And it was one game. And one game, and that's all you got. There was none of this. Well, we got lucky. Channel three would come in. You sometimes get a Patriots game on Channel three because that was the New England feed. Yeah. But you got the Jets on NBC and you got the Giants on CBS. And if the Jets and Giants were playing to each other on Monday night, you didn't get any football. Right. And that's insane. People can't even wrap their mind. You can see everything. Two guys playing football on a field somewhere. Someone's filming it, putting it on YouTube. That that there might not be football, quote unquote. On now they would show a game, but you got one game. You didn't have options. There was no games on both channels. There's no red zone. There's no nothing. So, second one from uh, Mr. Jack Bond, uh, long-time supporter. Okay. Um, okay. I think we can leave this part out. Okay. So, all right. So the actual email. This is like a side part. Then we go to here. This is says incredible. Uh, you might enjoy this incredible shrinking man story. It involves a high school teacher and something you may be familiar with: us kids trying to get him to talk about anything but his subject. Uh, this was back when Buck Rogers in the 25th century. I remember Buck Rogers in the 25th century was dropping new episodes. So we knew we were cool the next day if we were some if if there if, if there were some scientific stupidity he could rip on it. Uh, he loved that. He loved to say. They're trying to make it seem like vast, but it just comes off as half vast. <laughs> Sounds like a dad joke I would use. He didn't know we, uh, we'd hit a mother load um, the Monday after the weekend showing the shrinking man. He covered all sorts of problems with the shrinking, starting with the square uh, and the cube and the mass and going into the shrunken molecules. And can they have that uh, chemical reaction with the air molecules he's breathing? It's, in, um, it's done by sharing electrons. So how, how could that work? Um, if we think we uh, hadn't been careful, we might have learned something before it was taught. Uh, still, for all of us, I think we still had an affection for it and with our youth. Like you, we, uh, we brought up um, the ending and inf infinitesimal um, in, the, in the nature that there is no zero, which is what I mentioned, the idea yeah. that there's no zero, right? Um, one thing that is, as we discussed the special effects, I realized I wasn't paying attention to them until the man got down to cat size. I guess it's because... I know what a child-sized person walking around as normal would look like. I didn't need a movie to show me that. But that's just me. I know there are a lot of people who need to see it to believe it. Well, not believe it. Believe it, um, but accept it, right, uh, in this story. Uh, it's good to hear you paid attention to such things and found it doesn't fall apart too often. Okay, P.S. I enjoyed the sci-fi collections, but I'm a little frustrated that we didn't continue the Universal Legacy uh, packaging into the 1950s. I would have loved to see the Metalunum mutant head uh, to display next to the cousins of the um, Creature Black Lagoon and the Incredible Shrinking Man. Not the face, but the full uh, figure of Scott Casey holding his nail uh, in visual uh, as a visual pun. Um, and then uh, PPS, almost forgot to mention, I have um, the pilot episode of the 1957 TV uh, series World of Giants, not to be confused with Earl and Allen's later Land of the Giants, they literally should have traded titles about a man in a uns unspecified accident, permanently shrunk to the to doll size, who has become a sort of uh, inch high private detective, which leads me to um, what what leads me to accuse it of having um, taken inspiration from the movie is the plot is narrated by the main character in a self pitying voiceover, Jack, um, and I've never heard of that series or any of that stuff. I don't know what that Sounds is. Like Ant Man. It does sound like Ant-Man, but Ant-Man didn't come out. I mean, Ant-Man's a comic, but it wasn't, Ant -Man wasn't like that in the comics. So, but Jack's right. Incredible Shrinking Man is just a great film. Um, 
And again, when you, they try to science it up enough so you can kind of buy it. But we all know there's no way you could shrink someone down. It's just, it's like saying someone who's grown to be a giant. Not someone who has, uh, like, uh, has the disease, disease, giantism. But, like, to grow from, like, your size quickly to a giant, like, your heart can't handle it. Your body can't handle it. It's why they even talk about that in The Amazing Colossal Man. Like, he's going to die because his body can't certainly reject it, which is crazy that there's actually any, you know, intelligence in the incredible in, in the uh, amazing colossal man yeah. i mean that's why i said it was to me it was it is the best science fiction movie ever made because it didn't it didn't uh dumb it down yeah and yet you realize that it's it's impossible to do yeah but it's done so well right that that I mean, yeah. I, you want to buy into i it. have an affection for that movie like yeah you don't believe right. it. but you want to buy into it and, and, and you kind of are willing to put aside the impossibilities of science right. for what needs to be there you know, kind of thing. Like, you're willing to buy everything up to this point, but that's a stumbling block. I always say that to you. Like, you're willing to buy everything to this point, Dad, but you're not willing to buy the head of beer moving up and down. Right? Yeah. Kind of thing, right? You, you're willing to buy the aliens and the, the whatever, but the beer, that gets you, right? And I, like, But this movie doesn't do that. It, it treats you, no, but it doesn't have those... Oh, you, oh okay. I know what you're talking about. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. No, but I'm saying, I always say to you, you're willing to buy everything up to this point, but that takes you out of the movie. The, the Incredible Shrinking Man, at no point do they give you a point where you can go, all right, that's it, I'm done. Like, nothing is played for laughs. Nothing is played, like, wink to the camera. It's all like, my life is over. I'm dying. This is, you should leave. He, it's, it's like having cancer. And that's what the whole movie is basically about. It's a metaphor for, it, it doesn't have to be cancer. Any, any disease that changes right. your body structure. Uh, last email we have here is from Tim Elliott. It says, hello, gentlemen. So I don't know who he's talking to. Um, <laughs> excellent coverage of the classic, sci of classic sci-fi film. Um, and his is called The Incredible Shrinking Man, number 94. Uh, this has always been one of my fa a favorite of mine, even though the spider scene creeps me out. I feel, then uh, the ambiguous ending is what elevates the film above standard 1950s B-movies. And I agree with Al. The effects still hold up today. You feel pity for Scott as he shrinks, but at the close of the film, as his hope returns, so does, so does the audience's. Uh, you feel him at peace as he heads out of the basement, and you feel he will somehow survive. Keep showing, keep the shows coming, and keep watching the skies. Tim Elliott, uh, he is the uh, host of Third Degree Burns, uh, the podcast which covers everything uh, to do with. Um, oh, good lord! I forgot Burns' first name. It's the it's all comic book stuff. Robert Burns? No, 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 no. 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 Oh, um, I know. Yeah, know. right. I, I'm, yeah, I can't remember. My brain's all useless. So, uh, but yes, Tim's right. Again, Incredible Shrinking Man is an absolute classic, and I, I, that's why I think we chose it to start the year. Um, we. We, we, we like to give people, you know, something to kind of chew on. Last year, I think the movie during the year that people really kind of like wanted to sink their teeth into a chew on is the um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is, to me, probably one of the, the best movies ever made, period. Just so good. And people, they have an affection for it. And even if you are like, well, it's impossible, the pods and this, that, and the other thing, like, okay. But the movie is played straight. It's scary. It's, it's you know, it's it hits you in the right places. The Incredible Shrinking Man you feel so bad for Scott Kate. You're like, oh. And once they think like they've got it to stop, all right, fine. Maybe there's some hope. Maybe he can live his life again. Oh, no, it's just, it just slowed it down. And that's, and I think that's one of the things that people kind of connect to whenever you saw The Incredible Shipping, whether you saw it back in the day, like you saw it, you know, when it was like, you know, out kind of thing. And then you, or you saw it when you were younger and, you know, and like on TV or whatever, it still holds true today. You watch a movie now and it still holds true. It's like Day of the Earth stood still. That movie still rings true today. And when a movie can do that, 
60 years, 70 years later, you have something. And, and think about it. We talk about them as being like the best, you know, giant bug movie, whatever, but it's a really great movie at its core. It has a great story and everything else. You know, Day of the Earth stood still. It's got a great story. It, it talks about the, you know, what needs to happen and whatever else. So um, but the part of the problem is when you're looking at, okay, so um, when we start looking at some of the, 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 the stories like The Incredible Shrinking Man and stuff like that, they hold true because people are losing their identity still. People feel lost and isolated, and that's what it's a metaphor for. Um, and then, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, people think, well, I really like, you know, the, the, you know, the cheesy slot movie. I like, you know, Food of the Gods. Oh, I like this yeah. stuff. I love those movies too, but I think sometimes you watch a movie and it's like, okay, this might be a science fiction movie. You know, there might be a guy dressed like, like a robot, or there might be, you know, a guy fighting a spider, or whatever it is, but that's not really what they are. They're a metaphor for something more, because some, somewhere underneath there, someone took time to make sure they gave you more on your plate than just that. And and I, and, and for those of you who are like, well, I'm measuring, like, no, Jay, I find those movies, go, you know, those aren't the kind, I like, rather watch, you know, something more recent. You find movies that have that now. And I think Dad and I have tried to give you some of those. I think Upgrade was a perfect example of a recent movie which has it's more than some of its parts, um, you know. But by the same token, uh, you know, some people have watched it and said, "I just didn't get it." I'm like, "Because you oh. got to watch it a second time. Yeah. Like it takes you have to think about it. It's it's when he's paralyzed, you're like, oh my god, like you you feel so bad.' But it's like, well, now he's a chance to be no and like all those things that it just stirs up, and it has a lot to do with what's happening in your life and what's happened to you. And you can draw on that sometimes to make uh, in a movie. Uh, so, all right, folks. So uh, that about does it for us uh, this time out. Now, next month, um, Dad for the for the April release. Dad is not going to be here. So in a few days, you're going to hear uh, Mr. John LeMay will be back. Uh, yes, the author um, of uh, the Jaws Unmade and Kong Unmade and all the uh, the twenty five books he's written. Um, he is going to be joining me for um, a movie that. Um, I can't say classic. I can say it's, it was produced in 19... I can say it came out in 1986. It's King Kong Lives. Now, you're saying to me, Jay, you're discussing Incredible Shrinking Man. Now you're talking about King Kong Lives. Look, I asked John what his favorite King Kong movie was. He said King Kong Lives. I said, okay, let's do it. And there is a lot of time and effort it came to get a copy of King Kong Lives because no one has it. And the DVD is out of print. And it's not anywhere else. And it's a whole lot of controversy and stuff with that movie that goes along with it. And that's fine. Um, and King Kong Lives will be what John and I talk about. Now, episode 100 is coming, and I'm still not giving away what is in episode 100, so I want everyone to be surprised when we get to episode number 100 in, uh, in you know, down the road, but understand, we will have episode 2 of The Dark Room. You can expect episode 2 of The Dark Room later on in May. That'll be the, the second sure. May one. We'll do that for 101. I'll tell you that. I'll give you that. 101 will be episode 2. Oh, well, we do thing with dark room since they're so short do you want to do more than one? no no because i think dark room works perfectly it's like we did here I'll, okay. I, oh, it's yeah, a perfect I, opportunity instead of talking for an hour about what we're going to do it, let's do the feedback so for those of you who send feedback to the show episode unless it's a listener feedback episode because we had a bunch to do last time yeah we'll do probably an episode of dark room because they're relatively short and then we'll do listener feedback if we have any and if not we there might be like hey these new releases are coming out that kind of thing like yeah. uh, in fact and we were you know when we're recording these kind of things uh they had just have shout factory just announced king kong 76 is finally coming to blu-ray the the full version with all the specials and everything else um the hand is finally coming to blu-ray yeah. the michael kane movie um oh it's eyes of a stranger i think it's eyes of a stranger i don't remember and he knows you're alone at night 
which is the one where he's killing all the brides on the night before their uh, oh. thing. They're, they're, the, again, these are movies that are older, have never been available, and Shout Factory is finally putting them out. But by the time you hear this, they'll be kind of readily available to order on Amazon, and they'll be coming out this spring. All right, folks, so that about does it for episode one of Darkroom. I want to thank everyone who wrote in um, for the emails. We love getting emails from folks, and we love hearing from you. So, folks, um, hey, did you watch The Dark Room? Do you remember watching these movies? Uh, not movies, this this TV show. I would love to hear someone remember it, because I certainly was not of the age to watch it, what, two or three years old, not really going to be you know pounding those things out, right? Um, my dad does not remember seeing it on TV. No, um, no, no, I don't remember seeing it when it first came out. Right, that's what I'm saying, yeah. Did, did you watch it? I mean, did you, even if you remember watching maybe, oh, I, I missed the first couple, but I saw like, the infamous third episode, or I saw, you know, these last couple. I'd love to hear it. Um, so we'd love to hear from you. So, folks, that about does it this time. As we say right here, keep those cards and letters coming, and keep watching the skies. This is Tokyo, once a city of six million people. What has happened here was caused by a force which, up until a few days ago, was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination. Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown. An unknown which at this very moment still prevails and could at any time lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. Hi folks, Luke Giaconetti here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters, or as they're called in Japan, Daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at Two True Freaks. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. This has been an episode of Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. If you'd like to contact me, please email the show at bots bugsbabes at gmail.com If you'd like to find me online, I'm on Facebook under my name, Jason Jacknetti. I often contribute to the Two True Freaks Facebook group. You can visit my Facebook page, The Art of Horror Collective, and you can search the hashtag, The Art of Horror Collective. On Instagram, find me under my name, Jason Jacknetti, and search the hashtag, The Art of Horror Collective, as well as the new hashtag, Bots, Bugs, Babes Podcast. I'm the only one using them. I'm also on Twitter at Jason Giaconetti, and you can visit my webpage at www.theartofhorrorcollective.wordpress.com. All movies, characters, stories, music, etc. are properties of their respective holders. This is a fan work, and any use of any property is purely for review, discussion, entertainment. So don't sue me. I ain't got anything anyway. There is no tomorrow! There is no tomorrow! There is no tomorrow! Will you stop?